Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I am grateful for all the new opportunities 2023 will present to me. As of this recording, I am 587 days sober, and today we're welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome, Paula. Well, hello. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure when I get people reaching out saying they want to be on. I love helping people that are excited to share their stories. So why don't you start by introducing yourself to the listeners? Well, I'm happy to. I'm Paula CR. I'm from H-Town, Houston, Texas. And uh, my sobriety date is 5-18-20. Thank goodness. Congratulations. <laughs> so I got uh, sober during the, thank you. I got sober during the pandemic and uh, my AA club here in Houston, I go to the Lambda Center. Come on by if you're ever here. Mm-hmm. They uh, call me a Zoom baby. Yes. But uh, yeah, so um, I wasn't a one chip wonder. It was my third time coming back into the program. And just looking for sobriety and this time it worked. And I'm very grateful for that and happy to be here with you today. Excellent. Wonderful. And what are some of your favorite hobbies or interests you found in your sobriety? Wow, that's a great question. So the awesome thing for me was that I actually got to get back into some of the things that I lost Mm -hmm. or, you know, really just things that I used to enjoy but I, I would think that it would be more, way, way more fun if I had one drink or two. <laughs> of course, mm-hmm. I never had one drink. So those things just weren't fun to me anymore. And I had forgotten how to have fun without alcohol. So I'm into kite flying again. Oh, excellent. <laughs> so we go down to Galveston. I fly kites. I have a lot of kites. I'm just getting back into roller skating. I'm a child of the 70s. Mm-hmm. I used to put on my Xanadu roller skates in the summer mm-hmm. and I would leave the house at 8 a.m. and not come back till the, you know, the sun was starting to go down and I have picked that back up again. So that's a lot of fun. And my wife and I are going back to concerts and we've been dancing a couple of times. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Getting back into the groove of things and picking up things that I left behind that I loved. Yeah, wonderful. And so why don't we get into the thick of it with what it was like and what led you here? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tell my quick story. You know, I I, I wasn't a one-chip wonder, as I said. I first came to look for help when I was about 18 or 19 years old. And by then I had been drinking, I, th- I think we did the math like five years. So, do, you know, yikes. But, you know, it was what it was. I came from an alcoholic family. I came from a family of a lot of addictions and a lot of mental health issues. And that's just who we were. I like. I used to laugh and tell people that I knew I would be a drunk. I just didn't know what kind because we had all flavors and varieties in my family. But things happened for me pretty quickly. I started to have con- consequences pretty quickly and at a young age. But I was able always to sort of find my way and keep going. I got with my wife at a very young age, so I've always had somebody with me, which is probably why I'm still here talking to you today. Mm. But of course, my my drinking was progressive over time. There will be good times and bad times through the years. I came back to the program at around age 27, and I managed to stay sober for maybe six months. But that was... I mean, it was just a dry drunk, really. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of problems. And when I went back to AA that second time, 
while I did manage to stay away from alcohol, I never reached out to anybody. I never got information about the program. I just kind of sat in meetings and really didn't take anything from it. And therefore it just did nothing. And eventually I was back out. And uh, as things progressed, as my life went on, I, I just sort of lost a sense of who I was. And when those downtimes would come, I didn't really have any tools or anything to help me get out of bad situations. And I would take shameful things that I had done and just harbor them, keep them all inside and try and drink that pain away. So a lot of times I may have had help around me, but I never asked for it. I took it to the bottle. That's That was what I thought was my solution. In 2014, my wife and I decided to get married after having been together since 1986. We ran away together. And at that time, I I had gotten my life together a little bit. I, I always had problems keeping jobs. Since we ran off together at such a young age, I always had jobs close to alcohol. I would work in the bars, in the clubs. I used to go, go dance. I mean, I, you know, I, I like to be near the, near my people. And, you know, in the eighties and nineties, we, the club was our home. So not only was that convenient for me and my drinking ways, but it really was where community was for us. I, I remember back in the day, you know, we didn't take cameras into clubs who you saw there. You really did not talk about when you left there, right? It was our society. I grew up in the clubs in Denver and Houston. So when I came back to, well, excuse me, let me just go back to 2014. I had gotten a new job and I was really trying to get myself together. I was going to get a, get a therapist this time. But I had been feeling sick almost that whole year. And I'd gone to the doctor a couple of times and I told them different pains I was having, things I was seeing, like blood in my stool and things like that. And though I had a lot of the signs and symptoms, I was told that I was too young. But in fact, I did have colorectal cancer and it was diagnosed. My wife got and I got married in October of 2014. That day after we got married, I was sick pretty much from then on. And I was in the emergency room in January of 2015. In the emergency room, they found a baseball sized tumor. And I was, I'm very, I was very lucky at that time to be alive. But what happened with me was I, I hadn't fixed anything in my life. I kind of went through this car crash of cancer. And then it was like, here you go. You're alive. Be happy, be grateful. And for me, it was a downhill spiral into just a darker place. I've now come to realize this has happened to other people, survivors of cancer. It just you know, that avalanche of things can really hit you. And I already was an addict. So I took it and rolled with it. I started drinking more, actually more. And by the time 2020 rolled around, I had been working elections here in Houston. I worked as an election judge. My wife and I were poll workers. I just let tried to take on the problems of the world. And at night, I was going around to the local store stealing bottles of cheap wine I mean, I, I had really was living two lives. I did not know who I was by day or by night. And I ended up in the hospital in May of 2020. I was having pains. I didn't want to say anything. I was afraid it was cancer again. I was afraid that it was my fault. And we went to the emergency room. This time we went to the emergency room. The doctor came out and said, are you going to tell me how much you're drinking? 
or are we going to play games? And he said, I'm going to tell you, honestly, you don't have time. I don't know why, but for the first time ever in my life, I told the truth. And I, I was like, all, all the liquor, all, all the liquor that I could find that weekend, I drank. He said, I can see that. You're in a lot of trouble. Your pancreas numbers are bad. And what had happened was I had almost destroyed my pancreas. I didn't even know that was a thing. I, I was like, hey, I thought if long as your liver's okay, you're good, right? Yeah. So in May of 2020, I was put in a hospital. It was during, you know, Lockdown had just started in Texas. We were doing things differently down here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we went into lockdown a little later than y'all. And I spent two weeks full lockdown detoxing in the hospital with emergency, five emergency surgeries to try and save my pancreas. They ended up putting a stent in. For that two weeks, I did not eat any food. <laughs> Ice cubes and IV bags were my food. And the doctor, actually, when he did the first surgery to go in and see what was wrong, he couldn't get through because I was so swollen. I woke up right as he was done. I kind of came out of the anesthesia earlier. And I heard the doctor say, and I won't cuss, but I heard the doctor say, she's an effing alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I heard him say that. I was woken up at that time for a reason. Mm -hmm. Of course, I went back to my room and called my wife. And said, he called me a drug. Get me out of here. I mean, I'm, I had a fit. I'll tell you later, six months later, I gave him my first six months chip. Yeah. He, and he's one of my best friends in the world. And he saved my, helped me save my life mm-hmm. because I heard him loud and clear. And then we found out that my pancreas was really bad. I have to have a stent, stent therapy. For six months. And so what I was told is you can never drink again. You can never drink again. You can never drink again. Every day for 14 days, the nurses, the doctors, the people who brought the pills in, the people who swept the floor, they told everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It would remind me nonstop. So when I got home, I had missed two weeks sober. It was locked down, so we couldn't go anywhere, and I was still healing. So I healed up for about two weeks, so it was about a month I was sober. And one day I just looked at my wife and I said, hey... I don't know how to be sober. I don't know how to live sober. She said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't want to go to an an inpatient program because I've been sober a month. So we just got on Dr. Google. Mm. We found some places that might be open. One place was open and they took our insurance and we called them up. I was in IOP outpatient the next day and that started my journey. I had to learn how not to to live and not drink. And I had to learn quick. And so I went in this time with the mindset of I'll at least try because I actually have everything to lose. Yeah. And so that's how I got here. Yeah. I was going to say, and, and what are some of those changes and like positive changes in your life since you found sobriety? Well, I mean, it's like night and day. I, I remember when I first heard the, them reading the promises and I was like, this is just ridiculous. What is, <laughs> what are these people talking about? But at that point I was like, okay, I had been told by my first sponsor, he said, just take what you need and leave the rest. Paula. I yeah. can tell you're going to ask a lot of questions. <laughs> and I was like, okay, we can work from there. I can mm-hmm. work with that. But these promises have started to come true in my life. 
for a long time, I couldn't get the help. I would seek mental health counseling for a lot of the trauma I had gone through as a child, but I could never really stick with it because my perspective was just doom and gloom. I really always thought that I deserved a lot of the treatment that I got and the things that have happened to me throughout life. I just figured everything was my fault. That's what I was told. So I could never really get the benefits of treatment because I was always self-medicating on the side. So without alcohol, I'm getting really great mental health treatment. I do take outside help and I use medication for ADD, but it's changed my life. I'm actually able to get the benefits of it. Yeah. I keep a steady job. I contribute. And I, you know, I was doing some of those things before, but it was halfway. Mm-hmm. And I'm not proud of that. And, you know, I'm proud when I wake up. I'm proud when I do inventory, even if something's bad that happened that day. Everything to me happens for a reason now, instead of woe is me. It's, oh my gosh, what can I learn from it? Honestly, my perspective on life has completely flipped. And yet I'm more of myself every day and more comfortable in my skin than I've ever been in my entire life. And I just, I don't know what I was waiting for, but I'm sure happy I got here. I'm the happiest I've ever been. Yeah, I can relate. And it's just beaming from you. And I love that. But like, I'm able to relate to all that just because of how grateful I like I am and how we get in recovery. Now, earlier, like you touched on a little bit about with the club and the bar scene, but let's talk more about like how you feel your sexuality played a role in your addiction. Yeah. Well, you know, let me see if I can put this to you in the most honest way possible. I knew who I was as a child. Mm -hmm. And as I'm, you know, I have actually lived long enough to realize that probably so did most of all of the adults in my life from the time I was a child. Mm -hmm. And they were uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And so from the time I was a child, there was a lot of no, 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 don't, 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 stop, 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 change, change, change. Girls don't do that. You shouldn't do this. Right. And there was always a kind of this pattern of trying to change behavior that wasn't necessarily bad or unnatural. Mm -hmm. So I knew that there was, I guess, a problem with me. From the time I was a kid, I knew I liked girls. I I knew I liked some boys, Mm -hmm. (laughs) mostly girls. And so, you know, in our family church, it wasn't allowed. There was some issues with that and being told like, well, God does not accept this as a young kid. God sees you. God sees your thoughts. And so a lot of these things I just took to my head and said, well, if that is the case and I already know who I am and I can't change it, God's already, your God has already made his decision. These people over here seem a lot of fun. They're like me. And they say, hey, we'll all go together. See y'all later. In the club, not everybody probably was partying, but I wouldn't know because I I believe that I had a predisposition in my family to drug and alcohol abuse. That's just my belief. When I had my first drink as a kid, I my dad was a Vietnam vet and he would come home with his buddy, army buddies, I remember, and they'd give me little sips of beer. I remember that from being a kid and how that made me 
feel. Mm-hmm. So I always had that. When, and uh, growing up, I had a fake ID because I needed to work. Mm-hmm. So when I was 14, I had a fake ID that said I was 16. So I could get a job. The only job I could get was in a restaurant as a bus girl. So all the waiters were older than me and would take me out with them. Mm-hmm. So I started partying young. Yeah, I mean, certainly. And I can relate. But, you know, going into your sobriety now, how has that changed your relationship? Or what? How, where have you found your new place in the queer community? Yeah. Well, so... I'm so blessed. First of all, I've been so invested in my community here in Houston. When I came, my my wife and I left here together in the 80s and we came back in the 90s. And we just got really stuck into the community and have been part of the community that whole time. So the community has always been here for me. And Lambda was always there. I used to just pretend like I knew where it was. I knew I'd end up there one day, but I didn't really want to go there. Which is so funny because in my life, all the things I never wanted to be and things I used to joke about, I used to say, I'm never going to be an AA. That's my middle name is Paula (laughs) AA. But I find myself here in the queer community at Lambda Center. We have so many wonderful people here in the queer community who live sober lives and who are doing great things. And, you know, It's just, for me, my sobriety is something that is for me to be conscious of, me to be aware of. And I don't really exclude myself from being in certain places. I've learned now my limits and my barriers, and I let nothing come between me and my sobriety, right? So. I do a lot of volunteer work. I'm an advocate for colorectal cancer, knowing the signs and symptoms. So you don't end up in the emergency room, sad like me, drinking your sorrows away. And I do a lot of it in the queer community, queer spaces. So I get to meet a lot of our communities in those areas. And I'm I'm very open about my colorectal cancer as well as my sobriety. Excellent. Yeah. And what are some other things you do in your daily life to help keep you sober besides all of that? Not that that's not enough or a lot. (laughs) Well, so, you know, for me, it was a blessing lockdown. Mm. I I tell people my higher power knew it was going to take a a pandemic to get this woman to stop. Mm. Uh, So (laughs) that's what it took, what it took. And I, during that time, just learned a whole new way of living. I had a friend who taught Veridic meditation. And before I used to think like, what is he into? What kind of woo stuff is that? Well, during lockdown, I was like, whatever that is, could you show it to me? Because I'm sitting here doing things in AA I never thought I would do. And I need to wait a way to calm these voices in my head that have always been with me, these negative voices what RuPaul calls the inner saboteur. Yeah. Mine, I call a B-I-T-C-H. Yeah. Because mine was just relentless and really hated me. Mm-hmm. So I needed to find ways to, to counteract that. And I had never looked into that. So I started Veridic Meditation, still doing it to this day, 20 minutes a day, twice a day. I My sponsors taught me, take pen to paper, and I, I I do it every day from the very first day, my very first day in AA, 
all of those names and numbers I took down, I still text gratitude list to this day. I do daily inventories. I say prayers. I made a God box. Mm-hmm. Me. I made a God box. Mm-hmm. I use it. I get a lot of inspiration from nature. I, I work out. Um, I try and go to a lot of online meetings, newcomer meetings. Newcomers keep me sober because I will never forget those first 90 days. I didn't think I could do it. I remember hearing people say they had 20 years and I was like, excuse me, can I call you now? Because that makes no sense. So yeah, those are the kind of things I do. And they help me every day. If I'm of service and I'm keeping my own side of the street clean, I'm good. Yesterday, before I went on a meeting, I went and cleaned my toilet. And then I felt better. And then I was able to go on the meeting. Excellent. And Speaking of meetings, no matter how we get sober, we generally find one or two quotes or mantras that we love to live by. Do you have one you'd like to share? Yeah, absolutely. The old school ones work for me. Mm. You know, in those first 90 days, I kept saying to myself, just do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. How about that? How about if you don't lie and you're just kind to yourself and you just do the next right thing? just over and over and over, slowly, one step at a time. And yes, you're right. I, I do realize not everybody goes to traditional age or 12 step. Yeah. But whatever you do, do it, keeping in mind that you've got to be kind to yourself and give yourself grace. None of what I was able to accomplish, I could have done on my own. Mm-hmm. I had to reach out and ask for help from somebody. Yeah. And I just had to be honest with myself on the times that I needed to not be stressed and to not feel like I was going to lose it. I had to have the boundaries and the space to be able to be in that in that place. And I was the one who had to take it. Yeah. So, you know, be kind to yourself. Keep it simple. Do the next right thing. Yeah. The excellent, wonderful advice. And how can our listeners find you if they wanted to connect? Yeah. So I'm going to give you two ways to find me and I'll also email you these two, but I'm on Instagram and you can certainly message me on there. It's I L O V E L R six nine. I love L R six nine. And you can just anytime you can send me an email at I love L R six nine at Gmail. Nice and easy. I love it when it all matches up. <laughs> That's just like us listeners. You can always get in touch with me at gayapodcast at gmail.com or on all the socials, especially Instagram at gayapodcast. Thank you so much, Paula. Stick around because we're going to be heading on over to our after show. But thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for your service. Oh, I appreciate that. And listeners, join our Patreon family today to get some more bonus content with Paul and I as we continue this conversation. And be sure to follow us wherever you're listening right now so you can get new episodes when they come out every Thursday. Until next time, stay sober, friends.